Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. Good morning. Hey, Jonah. It's good to see everybody here today. Uh, Memorial Day. I didn't think we'd have this many people here, but so many left. I gotta, I gotta share something that Roxy and I do every time I preach. Roxy has a tendency to send me a text on Saturday that says, "Is there a scripture reading tomorrow?" In which I respond, "Yes." About 10 minutes later, Roxy goes, and it is, question, question, question. <laughs> so I had to clarify today, well, every time you text me on Saturday, I'm either in the woods, I'm down in the basement, the thing's upstairs. And yesterday, it was upstairs, and I said, well, it's in Jeremiah something. And so, anyway, that's our little joke. Uh, yes, but that's a guy thing, right? Why didn't she say, hey, what's your scripture reading for tomorrow? <laughs> then, oh, I got you. But no, do you have one? Yeah, I do. Anyway, uh, this morning for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about uh, what we, we know as restoration. I was invited to a Bible study in college in uh, late January of, uh, let's see, what year would go back? 1981. And uh, I'll re- tell you why I remember that is because uh, the years are actually my age usually up until you know like it's 2019 so i'm 59 years old so it's easy for me to remember a date it's not that i'm some genius i don't know i just that's the way it worked out anyway i was invited to a bible study and there i was introduced to um christ reintroduced to jesus and was baptized shortly thereafter uh and the bible study was uh this sounds really loud is it me or is it it's me am i okay Okay, so y'all go. I just it just sounds like it's my voice isn't that great to listen to. Anyway, but I was inter- it was uh, the Bible studies were led by the Providence Road Church of Christ, which is actually 40 minutes away from the UNC Charlotte campus. But every Wednesday night, every Sunday, they would come and get us and take us to church. They had Bible studies throughout the campus, and that's how I came to know Christ and was also introduced to the churches of Christ and the idea of restoration. Now. The reason I chose this verse is I know, we're going to take a t- uh, uh, poll this morning, um, where it says, seek and ask for the ancient paths. Has anybody been to a sermon where they talked about the ancient paths or a lectureship? Thank you, Roxy. Everybody else is lying. <laughs> if you've been in the churches of Christ long, surely you've heard those before. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. So... The idea of just going back to the simple, uh, new, what we find in the New Testament, and we term that restoration. So, some 38 years later, I think we all ought to re-examine that. Every generation needs to re-examine it. The reason is, if you go back in your Old Testament, how many of you remember King Hezekiah? That a great revival, restoration, reformation, whatever you want to call it, got rid of idol worship, but two generations later, what happened? Josiah. Josiah, his great-grandson came, 
And he decided to, re, to refurbish the temple. And Josiah had never heard the law read some two generations later. So I believe it's good for us to constantly re-examine our faith, reaffirm our faith, question our faith. This morning I don't want to reaffirm anything. I want to try to stir the pot. Now this morning I want us to think. I want us to ask ourselves four questions about restoration in, in the hopes of changing our attitude towards it, okay? To try to strengthen our relationship with God and strengthen our relationship with the Word. <clears throat> All right, so the first thing, first question I want to ask is, does God really need me to restore His church? Let it marinate for just a minute. Look at this. Does God need this to restore his church? Single me out today, but I really want you to ask yourself the question, does God need you to restore his church? I got to thinking about that a little bit. I don't know about you, but, but I got a problem. I want to look at three verses taken throughout the Bible and explain to you my problem. Is this working? Yeah. In Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I'm going to restore the church and I'm going to start off with what? A desperately sick, deceitful heart. Has anybody ever reacted to something and then later realized they reacted to it wrongly? Wish they had changed it differently? Huh? Stop. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Not you, buddy. Yeah. Um, so that's the first one. All right, the second one. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds, and there is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then last one, Isaiah 64, 6. For all of us has become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. So I'm going to restore the church with a deceitful, corrupt heart that does no good. But that's okay. I'm going to use some filthy rags to clean it up. That's my tools. Filthy rags. It's filthy. Not just dirty. It's filthy. So, in my mind, I'm going, okay, how can I describe this? Okay. And Laura's not here, so I can pick on her. So, Laura takes little Canaan back there to change a poopy diaper. Okay, anybody ever done that? Had kids? So, she's back there changing a poopy diaper, and she goes, Hey, Katie, I'm sorry. Do you have another poopy diaper that I can help clean this up? That's what we're talking about here. That's the tools I have. I am going to restore the church with my deceitful, broken heart using a filthy rag. I think I need some help. How about you? We have to start with that premise of humility as we approach God. But I'm sorry, some of my brethren in other areas, and we've all seen them, have a, I think they've taken it upon themselves to 
contend and they're going to show how everybody does things wrong and they're going to correct you and they confuse contending for being contentious for. And they want to argue, tear everybody else down, want to compare us with everybody else to make sure, you know, we're doing things right. And I'm like, wait a minute, you don't have the right tools. None of us have the right tools to do this. I would like to say that I am happy to say I don't believe we need to restore the church. Because the idea of restoring the church means at some point in time, the church was gone. Has anybody ever restored anything? My uncle restored an Indian motorcycle one time. You'd probably like that. He got it in boxes. Literally in boxes. He had the frame, boxes of parts. My uncle was a genius uh, when it came to mechanical stuff and he put that Indian motorcycle back together and it had the suicide shift on the gas tank. He put it up for sale and the guy came by and asked him what the shifter was. Leonard said, I don't think you want this bike. Um, but that bike was beautiful. Once Leonard put it all back together, restored it. But in Matthew 16, Simon Peter, this is a confession of Christ. Simon says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Who's going to build it? Jesus. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. What's going to destroy it? Nothing. Jesus built his church... And he, just like he preserved the word, has the power to preserve it. The problem is our willingness to respond to him. Do y'all see the difference that I'm trying to, maybe it's fine minutia point. Can my free heart and my buddy understand what I'm trying to say? <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Anyway, but there, there's a, there's a, uh, Jesus built it, and it's our responsibility to respond to it and allow him to work in our lives to make us the people he wants us to be. Amen. That's what restoration is to me. Okay? That's what restoration is to me. Jesus is going to build the ch his church. He's going to build it, and he's going to use people like Peter, like me, like you. He's going to use us in our weaknesses, but it's his church He's going to do the building. He's going to do the developing. It's not us. It's not me. It's not you. And if we're not careful, we get into preserving and nothing that preserves ever lasts. We have to restore. In John 21, this is the, that, that intimate scene on the Garden of, Geth Garden of Gethsemane, not Garden of Gethsemane, Sea of Galilee. They're a little bit far apart. The Sea of Galilee, <clears throat> after Jesus' resurrection, and I love this story because they're catching fish and eating them for breakfast. Sounds like my kind of thing. Peter's fishing, Jesus is on the shore, and when they come to shore around this charcoal fire, Jesus asked Peter three times, Lord, do you love me more than these? Remember, there were three denials. There are three, Lord, do you love me more than these? 
And Peter, being human like the rest of us, Jesus said to him that he was going to get, the verse before this, that he was going to get probably taken to where he didn't want to go. He, he, Peter was going to die. And Peter, being human like the rest of us, would have said, and I, it's almost like siblings, right? Mom gives one of you something to do, and then you wonder, well, what about my brother? And Peter does the same thing. Lord, what about this man? To John. Well, what about John? I'm going to die. What about John? You know, what about him? And Jesus' response to Peter was, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In our daily life, in our daily walk, every day of the week, we're supposed to follow after Christ. That is what restoration is. So does the Lord need me to really restore his church? No. He needs me to follow him. That's what he needs all of us to do, is follow him. Now the second question, like the first. <clears throat> what actually are we trying to restore? Got a trick question here. What actually are we going to try to restore? Are we trying to restore the church of Christ? Or are we trying to restore the church of Christ? Where's my English teachers here can explain it? The first is a title of a group. The second, if you notice, little c, is a possession. The first is a title, a group, an entity. The second is a possessional phrase, the church that belongs to Jesus. Are we trying to restore an institution like the Shriners, the VFW, Boy Scouts? They're all institutions, right? I'm not talking about institution, non-institutional. I'm talking about institutions, okay? The Carolina Bible Camp is an institution, okay? So, what is the difference? Well, the difference is there's an institutional idea where we have to be in a building with a certain sign on the outside and we do a certain group of things on the inside of that building and that to some people is the Church of Christ institution. But to Christ, the word church is the called out. It's the people of Christ. And the church has nothing to do with the building. Sometimes I wish we'd burn the building down. There wouldn't be as much, I don't burn it down, we blow it up, it's more fun that way. But get rid of the building. I'm not saying we do that, but think of all the problems that are associated with having a building. Sometimes there's difficulties, isn't it? Sometimes people think you ought to do one thing in a building, some people think you can't do that, and there's little contention. In fact, we've been known to divide over that. Because we're institutional in our thinking as the church, as an institution, or I could say denominational in our thinking, is a church is a denomination, but the church is the people. It's you and me. This weird group of people that come together and we do different things. The language of the New Testament focuses on the people. All different races, all different languages, all different cultures. F. Lagarde Smith, in his book, Radical Restoration. Anybody ever read that book? I think, I think maybe we have here. I don't know, but if you haven't, read it. He says, a quote, We must not be tempted to think that the Christians in Rome would have attached the same connotation to Paul's greeting, 
the churches of Christ salute you, see the little c. In anything like the same institutionalized bumper sticker way we do today. Nor would they have been bothered in the least as would we to be called the church of God. In fact, if you look in the book of Acts, they're called the church, church of God, church of the Nazarene, the church, the way, all different names to, and it's just describing the people. That's all it is. Describing the collection of people who believe in, in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So what are we trying to restore? What are we trying to protect? We need to be protecting each other. Right? Looking out for each other. Helping each other out. Encouraging each other in our walk with Christ. Because nobody got it right yet. We're supposed to be there to help each other, pick each other up. We're not trying to restore an institution. We are trying to be the people of God. So here's an easy question. The third one, what's the standard for restoration? Anybody want to tell me what that is? It's not G- it was Jesus, but you know, you know, in Bible class, always kid, the answer is Jesus. Well, in adult class, the Bible's always the Bible, right? The Bible is the standard for restoration, rest- us being restored to Christ. That is the Bible. And I talked with Janan. And, and got the original English. What the original English, the Bible alone is a final authority, means. And that usually means what I'm used to. <laughs> That's supposed to be funny. Wasn't <clears throat> supposed to be funny. It's mainly what we grew up with. Okay? I'm not saying what we grew up with didn't have scripture behind it. It does. But I, I would challenge us all to look at everything we believe again and again. Because how many of you have not learned something new by looking at things again? How many of you believe the same thing you believe today that you believed 20 years ago? Those of you who are at least 20 years old. Exactly the same thing. I remember reading the Exodus story for the first time. Never making the connection between the story of coming out of Egypt. Jesus going to Egypt and coming out. Never made that connection. Never made the connection about being baptized in the Red Sea and wandering in the wilderness and crossing into the Jordan, crossing the Jordan into the Promised Land, which mirrors our walk in this world. First time I read it, second time I read it, probably the twentieth time I read it, somebody actually pointed it out to me at some time. I'm like, wow, yeah, there's a parallel there, but I missed it. That's what I mean. We have to keep studying, keep questioning, and the Bible is our final authority. But we have a tendency, as F. Lagarde Smith says in his book, to live in a two-dimensional world. He calls it the flatland people. You know, they, they've got width and depth, but they don't realize they've got height. And they see everything from that perspective. We see everything from an American perspective, politically, don't we? Against the rest of the world. But, you know, they look at us a little differently than we look at them. But Kathy and I have been privileged to meet and have people stay in our home from several different, you know, cultures, several different foreign exchange students. We had one from Spain. We had one from Kentucky. Uh, Sarah. Sarah. That's, that's the knock on Sarah, not y'all. She was our second one. Yeah, wasn't the knock on my Kentucky folks. But had Sarah. And then got 
We had a gentleman come stay with us from Brewer Road who was working down here. He was, a, he was uh, from Mexico. Now we've had Tony from China. And uh, this, this fall we may have Tony and a Korean student stay with us. It is so interesting to listen to them talk about Americans. Okay? We, the arrogance we portray to the rest of the world is like, I'm kind of, you know, I don't want to be an American over there. I just want to be the guy touring. Not that I don't love my country, I do, but, you know, this ain't the only place in the world. People do things differently, okay? Kathy and I went to the Dominican Republic. I think I've used this example before, but we went to the Dominican Republic, and we decided then that we don't like going to the resorts. If you want to hang out by the, by the pool and eat a lot of food and I can do that at home. I can get a little wading pool. I'm not going to get in the pool anyway. But we took a little tour one day. It's called a monster truck tour. And we toured the countryside of the Dominican Republic to see how they lived. And we went to a cockfighting rink. And it was like in a little old round circle barn, okay? And, and the boards that you sat on were like one by sixes. And there was like eight feet between the supports. And as a builder, I'm going, I ain't standing on that. But they're a little smaller in the Dominican Republic than we are here. And they demonstrated the cockfighting rink. And there was three rows around it. The more money you bet, the closer you got to sit to the action. Kind of like, you know, at a hockey game now, right? You can get the nosebleed seats up there. Or you can get the ones right on the glass. And they cost more. But we, they put little gloves on them so they didn't know blood. They didn't really kill each other then. But we look at that, like Roxy reacted to that, and we go, you, you, you throw those animals in the ring and make them fight each other, and you watch them, and you bet on it? Are you kidding me? And their response would be, yeah, and you get two guys that go into a cage and pummel each other called MMA, mixed martial arts, and try to kill each other, that's okay. So culture's a little different. And I told Kathy then, had we grown up in the Dominican Republic, I'd been right there. Wouldn't have thought anything about it because it's what I grew up with. So when we say we come to the Bible and that the Bible's our final authority, we also have to remember that we got this baggage we're dragging along behind us that's going to affect the way we see it. Okay? I got a quiz. Math teachers, be quiet. My kids, be quiet. You know, there's a lot of uh, talk today around social media about the influx of Muslims into our country, you know, refugees, and there's even some Muslims, congressmen, senators now, I think. And oh man, some of the conservative talk show people, I'm sure, just about to explode that this is happening. So <clears throat> here's a, and this is a, a random test, opinion poll. Fuqua Verena Church opinion poll. And here's the question. Yes, no, or no opinion. I want you to raise your hands. Should schools in America teach Arabic numerals as part of their curriculum? How many say yes? How many say no? How many have no opinion? Do you want to tell them? That's what we use. That's what we use. <laughs> That's what we use. So uh, we're not using Roman numerals. We're using Arabic numerals. And uh, I think, isn't that where, didn't they help do algebra too? Isn't that where algebra come from? 
I even I actually read somebody who said that the Arabs and Muslims have never really introduced anything from modern society at all. And I'm thinking, dude, what planet did you crawl out from under? What rock? I knew about algebra. <clears throat> but if our basis is on what we've seen, what we know, or like, like that knee-jerk reaction there, and I did a double take. You know, I went, wait a minute. That's the numerals we use. I did catch it. My kids didn't catch it, but I told them. But if our guideline is what we've always known in response to the Bible, if it's good enough for Grandpa, remember that song, Give Me That Old Time Religion? It had about 5,000 verses. It's like, please, no more. You know, we're, we've sang it for 45 minutes. Stop. <clears throat> it was good enough for Grandpa. It's good enough for me. Well, let's talk about what it was good for Grandpa. Oh, that's the... That, that's 6,000 people, just so y'all know, 31% said yes, 55% said no. So that's the actual result of that opinion poll out of 6,000 responses. <clears throat> Anybody know what that is? Anybody ever seen that? I've actually seen this. Not in that nice truck. It was a different truck. They're spraying for mosquitoes. And it was oil smoke mixed with DDT, and it made a fog when it came down the road. It was the coolest thing. Just watch that. Stuff just dissipate behind the thing. Well, it got rid of the mosquitoes. Malaria's kind of got rid of malaria, but it also killed the raptors. Almost lost the bald eagle, hawks. I never saw a hawk growing up. Never. Never saw a bald eagle growing up. The first one I saw was in Florida in the late 80s. First bald eagle. Now, just a couple weeks ago, I saw one flying over, two, a pair flying over my neighborhood because we quit spraying this stuff, okay? That's why all of our children have one leg shorter than the other. It's because of DDT, <laughs> okay? <clears throat> I grew up in Winston-Salem. You know what that means? There was no such thing as secondhand smoke. Uh-uh. Nope. I tried to think. My uncle and aunt that lived up the street did not smoke, but he chewed tobacco. But my mom, cousin across the street, my uncles on both sides, my neighbor smoked cigars. We had ashtrays in the house. I mean, they're all the time, man, all the time. And now they'll, if they catch you in a car smoking and your kids in the car, man, you're going to be on the nightly news, right? You know what the 1965 car seat was? Right? Yep. I got more bloody noses that way. <laughs> Mom would hit the brakes and the arm would come out. Boom! Automatic. I don't know. It was connected. I don't know. That was the car seat. I was talking to Joseph about this because he's getting ready to be a dad and that's so exciting. Can't wait. And 14 people will check that car seat and put that baby in the car seat when you get to the hospital. And if you don't have a car seat, the baby doesn't go home. But it's good enough for Grandpa. I was going to mention paragoric. Anybody remember paragoric? Daniel's not here. Yeah, you probably administered it. I took it. They don't let you take that anymore. Either. But it puts you to sleep. There's a lot of moms here wish they had some now. It would put the baby's crying. It'll put the baby to sleep. That's for sure. So we can't always go by what we 
have been taught, unfortunately. So we need to re-examine it all the time, look at it, consider it, argue with each other, debate each other. I don't mean in a hateful way, but we learn from each other, don't we? It's kind of like lifting weights. I don't lift weights anymore. Justin does, Brandon does. You lift weights, you get sore, you go back, you lift, you get stronger. That's what the Bible does with us. It wrestles with us. There's some difficult things in there, and we need each other in community to study it. But it's not all about what I've always had and what I've always known. It's about what God wants us to do. All right, one more question. Almost done. Man, we're going to, Monty, y'all take a picture of the clock. <laughs> is restoration a journey or is it a destination? It's a journey. But we get destination thinking in our mind. Now, when I go on a trip, you know, Kathy and I went and meet my brothers uh, in Orlando back in January, and we couldn't decide whether we were going to drive or fly. I'm sitting there going, man, it's nine hours down there. It's two tanks of gas. You know, that's a couple hundred bucks in my truck. Uh, plus, you lose nine hours. You're wore out that day. And then nine hours back. And I think Jana said something about Ryanair. We go to Ryanair, 100 bucks round trip. Doom, we're, we're done. 200 bucks, we fly down there, fly back. I want to get there, right? We want to get to the destination. But in our life, there is no destination. It's a journey. And we learn. As we go and we walk on the journey, we learn new things. Roxy and I were talking, back to Roxy, uh, last week. And I was, we were talking about Julie being a mom, and I can't wait for Julie to be a mom. <laughs> that I knew more about raising kids before I had them. I knew more about being a husband before I became one. Right? I, was, I was the guy. My brother was even worse than I was. My brother had a daughter, has a daughter, Kristen. And before Kristen was born, we were at a restaurant in Charlotte, and my little niece Sally was upset about something. She was about three or four. And she was crying. You know, and we've all been there. You know, our kids, you're, you're doing it. You're shaking. You're shaking. You're, you know, patting. You're trying to figure out why. She was just tired and didn't want to be there. And Jim, bless his heart, he, he was about to come unwound. I can't, can't you make that baby be quiet? And then Jim got Kristen. And she was colicky, which meant she cried all the time. She was never happy. But it was different when Jim held Kristen. I remember he called my dad that day. And uh, after Kristen was born, he goes, Dad, that's the prettiest baby I ever saw. His heart, she melted his heart. It didn't matter. It was his kid. She was colicky. And crying babies don't bother him. They don't bother me. In fact, I get a lot of enjoyment, parents, watching y'all take your kids out. We, we're giggling. That's, Julie, that's why I can't wait for you. So <clears throat> we've all been there. So we are on a journey together following the Lord. We need each other to encourage each other and to, and to go with each other. It's not a, a destinational point. We, oh, we've arrived. I think sometimes my brethren think we've arrived. I'm still walking. Crawling sometimes. Sometimes I'm being, most of the time I'm being carried probably by the Lord. 
But it's a journey. Our learning continues, okay? It's going to constantly continue. I have this one passage, and it's just to show you one of the, one of the names, or it's not really a name, the way believers were referred to in Acts was the way. I think that's interesting. They were speaking evil of the way. So even here in Acts, in these early chapters, actually mid-chapters, it's a journey. Jesus says, come and follow me. Okay? He doesn't say, come and sit down. He says, come and follow me. So to wrap it up, restoration is a legitimate plea. I think it's legitimate for us to constantly want to be drawn to God. That, to me, that's what restoration is. Jesus, come into my heart. Make me who you want me to be. That's what needs to be restored, me. Okay? Me. I need to be restored. Um, I'm restoring myself to, to Jesus, not to a particular institution. I'm using the Bible as a guide, not what I've always known. So that means sometimes... I'm going to get stretched. Sometimes it's going to be a little uncomfortable, but if it's the Bible, then we need to do it. And then we're on a journey and not a destination. So that's the lesson for today. I want to thank you all for your, your uh, attention. And we will, Matt will lead us in a song, and then we'll be dismissed.